0: Well, I love our willingness to experiment a little bit, because I think it, it helps us. Because you get used to things, right? You, you, uh, And your habits, your practice has almost become more important than what's true. And I think we keep running into that. Right now, we're, we're typically going through a book of the Bible, and that's dictating week by week what we're teaching, kind of the topics that come up from that book. Uh, in between the books, we finish 1 John, and before we go into the next, journeying through some requests. So there was a box up here a few months back, and you submitted certain requests, like what topics would you like discussed as we take a break? And sometimes those uh, topics birthed another topic and another topic. So last week, um, what we were talking about is we talked about uh, the curse. And that's the phrase we use for. If you read this in Genesis, you're reading in Genesis two and three, and what you begin to see is that man was created by God, and there was there was a man, and and they, all of creation was there, and then he created his wife, and and they they were known as Adam and Eve, and they lived in the presence of God in the garden, and he gave them instruction, and then the serpent, which which was Satan, came in and tempted them. With the accusation that God didn't have their best intentions and that they were capable of so much more if they would just go against what God said. And they said, yes, let's do it. And from that, sin came into the world and there were certain curses pronounced on all of creation, but specifically men and women. And, and once you see that, you can see the fireworks that are bound to happen on the back end of that. So last week, if you weren't here, you can go online online. Uh, onto YouTube or Podbean and listen to that sermon so you can see kind of what we're talking about. But today, we're, that topic really goes into this. We're going to talk about divorce. So it's a real feel-good sermon for a family Sunday. And uh, let me just say this before I pray. Statistically, uh, 50% roughly of the people I'm talking to that are hearing my voice have been through a divorce, Okay. And then 100% of you have been affected in some way by that. And so I don't want to take this lightly. I think often we get up here. I want to speak the truth to you in love because only through that can we grow. However, man, I still want to have great compassion, grace, and mercy for the fact that this is a very... uh, There's a lot of passion and feelings involved with this. But we can't let our feelings trump what God said. Fair enough? Because our feelings, although important, can deceive us. And I'm glad that that truth is not based on our individual feelings. Because if so, we'd be in a world of hurt. If you've been living life together, one thing you'll learn is we're very bad God's. For one another, right? Like, Derek, I love you, but you're an awful God, man. And for Brandy, I'm an awful God, and I'm just not the Holy Spirit for her. As much as maybe I want to be at some sometimes, and she's not for me. So let me pray. Let's get into this. Lord, I pray, Lord, that I bring this truth in love, and then that your spirit that lives in all those who believe, and who's in our presence for those who don't yet believe, that you would... Get this truth down into our hearts Lord so that even if we could take that if we could take that 49 50% of the people in churches that still get divorced and even throw that to 43% because we just refuse to do it we refused to go down that road that our world would change. And so Lord I pray that the truth would transform us would would stop us from the patterns of divorce enrich our marriages and guide those who are single and how to move forward and I just pray this And give me your words and not my own. Give me your passion and not my own. I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So it's important. It's kind of old school, but I wrote this on a board because I want to keep going back to it. What I think is tremendously important, whenever we're dealing with any sin problem, understand this. You're very comfortable with your own sin, and everyone else's sin is disgusting to you. Okay? And... We feel good about ourselves and sleep at night because we think our sin is so less harmful than other people's. And then if you start to believe that your sin is awful, then you hide because you think everyone else's sin is not as bad as yours too. So it's a trap. And really the most sinful people should be here on Sunday morning, right? Because we are. But even if you think you're the most sinful person, you should be here where truth can be spoken, where you can love, where you can blow it and Hopefully have people that are working on forgiving you. So let me just show you this. Here's, here's kind of the pattern. Here's what this is about. Here's why I point out sin. And you might not all be able to see that well. That's the limitation of a, a marker board. But, but please understand when, when we begin to realize like last week with that curse. Once we realize something is wrong. The first thing that we do. There's a church word that says confess. And basically what that means is like coming to agreement with God, what God says. Like oh man that was wrong. I agree with you. Does that make sense? Say that. Oh, man, that's wrong. You're right, God, right? Oh, man, right? So, okay, so that's the first thing that happens. And then you've got to say, now that I've done that, Lord, I need you to forgive me. Okay? That's the second thing that we do. And then what we do is because of that, we choose to change our mind about it. And that's easier said than done. And sometimes it is a process. But in that moment, you say, yeah, I don't, I'm don't. i not agreeing that that is good anymore, right? So like last week with the curse, if you say, man, you get passive. When I get passive, it's like, oh, man, I did it again. And then I say, Lord, forgive me because you didn't make me to be passive and hurt my family. And then I, the next thing I say is I ask for forgiveness, right? Like, forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me for that. Please, please lead me into a different way. Change my mind about that. Help me. Help me to transform my mind so that I know that being passive isn't necessarily being nice. It's actually harmful. And that's going to take some time. And then finally, give me the strength to do differently next time. And when you do that, that's the best you can do. And what you're hoping is you can, in that, you'll have access to what's called grace from God. It's it's the favor that you didn't earn. You didn't have to do better to get it. He just loves you because he made you. You get his grace, you get his mercy, which is you don't get what you deserve, right? And then you get his forgiveness and restoration, okay? So we'll go back to that. Here's where we ended last week. I'm sure if you prayed this, it was a bad week, okay? It was a rough week because we left it with Psalm 139, and basically what we said is God, right? The words say, search me, O God, know my heart, okay? So you're saying, God, I'm inviting you to mess with me a little bit. Test me here, and watch what floats to the surface. You know, it's like a bad box of macaroni with bugs in there. Turn up the heat a little bit, and watch those bugs float to the surface. That's what happened this week, if you're like me. If you prayed this, put me to the test, and watch me blow it, is what you're saying, okay? And then know my anxious thoughts, and know the hurtful ways in me. And show them to me. Anyone else have that happen to them this week? Right? I bet married life was great this week. I'm sure for all of you. Um, And then from that, not only like show me where I'm messed up, but lead me in the ways that are good and lead to life. So that's what you prayed. That's what you prayed. And if you did, I'm sure that's what happened this last week. So now, that naturally bridges to this. I've given to you this, this question to ask God. Like, bring up all the bad stuff in me. It's going to be fun. And oh, by the way, you're cursed. And if your wife or your husband's cursed too. And because of that, it's going to put you guys at odds. So I think about that, okay? Adam and Eve, taken out of the, out of the garden, right? Put together with this kind of curse. And God's like, watching this. They're different. Their curses are basically made to keep them at odds. Right? What ends up happening is they begin to realize how different they are. And you fast forward and we have this thing that you call irreconcilable differences. Which is the main cause for divorce and couples that separate. Okay? Duh. No. <laughs> Duh. Can we be honest? Duh right? We're just different. Our curses are going to go against each other. If you were here last week, you'd say, okay, here's the man, right? His tendency is going to be towards worshiping his wife in front of God. But then he's going to be so dumbfounded because of that, he's going to miss the obvious, which she's going to see. And then in which she's going to try to take control over her husband, which in turn is going to get angry and try to lord over her. And then, you know, what's better with that? He's got to go to work and try to support their family, which is always going to be hard and not work out well. And then she's going to have hormones, right? And then babies, and they're going to cry and scream and feed off of her. And that's going to be really romantic. And then right and then once all that stops then you know you're going to have these physical issues she's going to have these physical issues and it's going to be a fun 50 year 60 year journey so inevitably not too long after man was sort of cast out there they began to have differences so what do you think the men and women did they called it quits and then you get more men and women, and here's, a, here's like a fact that most pastors won't tell you. Just because you get married, doesn't, and you might think your spouse is wonderful, and you really should, it doesn't mean that everyone else is not attractive anymore. Right? So these men and women started seeing each other, and certain people just have chemistry. And so they started cheating on each other, started casting each other out. I mean, even their own sons, one killed the other one, because they couldn't get along. You feel good yet? Okay. So fast forward, Jesus is here. Please let me set the context for this. You guys remember John the Baptist, John the Baptizer? Well, there was a king named Herod, and his husband, or his husband, sorry, his brother had a wife, okay? Had a wife, and he didn't like her anymore, right? Whatever happened, he cast her out. Herod's like, she looks good. He married her. John the Baptist is like, this is wrong. Herod's like, oh, man, what am I going to do with this guy? His wife's like, kill him. He's like, I can't because all the, all the believers are going to revolt against me. The Jews will if I do that. So then apparently she has a daughter, okay, who's of a certain age. She comes in, drops her womanly wiles on Herod and his friends, whatever that happened there, not for a family Sunday, okay? So whatever happened there, it pleased him so much. He's like, whatever you want, girl. Whatever you want, you get. Then she goes to mom. Hey, mom, what should I do? That John guy who was talking smack about me, I want his head on a platter. Okay. Goes to Herod. Herod. Yeah, whatever you want, girl, right? Back to Adam, just enthralled with the woman. And whatever you want. I want his head on a platter. Chop his head off. Bring it in a platter. This is the same area. Now, Jesus is here talking this stuff. So these Pharisees think they're smart. They're like, we're going to get Roman rule to help us out here and kill this guy that's in our way. Watch this. We'll do it. We'll get him to say that cheating, that sending your wife off is wrong. So they go up to him and the Pharisees came up to Jesus and they tested him. They said, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? This is the question that we ask each other in church, right? Right? we're always kind of testing because our feelings are such and we want truth to match our feelings. So please, can you help me get to the point where I feel good about acting in the way I feel like I should act? So they asked Jesus that. Well, here's how he answers. Check this out. You can find this Matthew 19. That was verse three. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there because we'll kind of flip back and forth to this. So Jesus says to this, he answers them this way. He says, have you not read? that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus is pointing back to, here's the design. There's one man, one woman. That solves a lot of problems we have in our culture, right? One man, one woman. And when they come together, right, they, they leave mother and father and they hold fast. There's a whole other set of problems all right, that, that Jesus has just given us direction on. And the two become one flesh, which we've learned is, is, more the, is the physical union, is the procreation, is the blending of, of lives, which is the fallout of divorce, right? You, you tear apart something that God brought together. It hurts the kids. It hurts the physicality of what's going on. It hurts your finances. It hurts generations, right? It's a ripping, a tearing that happens because you weren't two people cohabitating. You were one person. And this is how God designed it. So then Jesus goes on to say, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay, let me ask you a little question. Think about it before you just answer. So they asked Jesus a question. They were trying to trap him, but it's a legitimate question. It's the question that I would ask and that you would ask, okay? What? How does this divorce thing work, Jesus? When is it allowed? When is it not allowed? And is what our culture telling us true and right, or have we been deceived? What do you think? How do you think Jesus answered, based on what he said? What's that? Read the word. Yeah. But what was his answer? Truth. Okay. But what, what was it? What actually was his answer? Yeah. But what have I not heard? What? You're almost there. Keep going. God created from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then the end is the most important. That's what answers that. What therefore God has brought together. So you've got to ask yourself in this, do you believe there's a mistranslation here of what Jesus said? Or is this what he really said? Okay. Jesus is saying, listen, God brought this together. Have we changed our thinking enough to realize that whether Christian or not, whether the circumstances were perfect or not, the God, the creator, the controller of all things, if you married up with somebody, it wasn't outside his knowledge or understanding or ability to stop. But Will, people have heart attacks and die they have aneurysms. They get struck by lightning. If it was evil and not what God wanted, he could have stopped it. But that's what that means to me. This is my interpretation of the truth. And you can say, well, you're, you're way off. But what it says here in a, in a literal way, and I think he literally means that, is like, don't forget that God's in control. So if he brought them together, who in the world are you to separate it? That's his answer. We don't like that answer we don't we don't like that answer well well it's easy enough for you to say cuz you're still married now i get it but i'm i'm not naive to to the fact that this is not easy so as a matter of fact i wrote this this is so small you're not going to be able to read it but i didn't want to burden a lot of our time, there's a lot to say here, but in Malachi 2, Malachi is, is a prophet, right? So what he's writing here is what God told him to write, where in the other, we see someone dictating the words of Jesus, this is God through the prophets to tell you, and he says, there's another thing that you do, he's coming against the people of God, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears. So if it's the altar of the Lord, who's crying? Yeah, but whose tears are they, probably? What's that? If it's the altar, the one who's sitting on it is covered with tears. This is how much. I mean, look at that picture. Have you read that before? You cover, you cover the, the altar of your Lord with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts the favor, right? So you're, you're so heartbroken because you feel God is distant from you, right? He is, he is not happy with what's going on. Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you've dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. What's a covenant? Contract agreement. So what a covenant says is, "This is this is what I'm gonna do no matter what the other party does. Right? An agreement can be, I agree to do this if you do this. But the covenant is different. The covenant is like, It does not matter what you do, here's what I'm going to do. That's how God works with us. His covenant for his people would be that he saved us. It wasn't about us acting perfect. It wasn't about us never being unfaithful. But he would still die for us and still give us an opportunity to be redeemed. You see that? But he's saying, with the wife of your youth. And I get that, guys, because I'm with the girl I was with when I was 17. I remember what her 17-year-old face looked like, right? I remember our wedding day when she had our kids, and the first time in her eyes that I knew that she loved me. And, man, that was awesome. And I can't lose that. She still does. She's still the wife of my youth. And in our 40s, she's still that. And I know in our 60s and I know in our 80s, if the Lord tarries that far, she will still be that. I will see that in her eyes and I can't deal with her treacherously because otherwise it's going to come between me and God. See, she's my companion, my wife by covenant, but not one has done so with the remnant of the Spirit. So like when I send her away, man, I am not listening to the Holy Spirit in me. verse 16, he says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And to him who covers his garments with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So what it's saying here is, first of all, one, God. God hates divorce. Okay? Secondly, he's watching how we men were the responsible one for this. How we deal with the wife of our youth matters to him. And we need the spirit to deal with her in a right way. And so when we're not dealing with her in a right way, we're refusing to follow the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, so you kind of, you go back in time, right? We take Adam and Eve. Like I said, they're, they're having kids, and those kids are having kids, and they're getting married. And what ends up happening inevitably is there's disagreements, and they start divorcing, right? They start, they have a union, and they, they separate for one reason or another. So then you remember the guy Moses, right? He, he brought the Ten Commandments, the, the Mosaic Law, and he tried to govern the people as instructed by God. Well, Deuteronomy is a, a record of some of that. And here's some instruction that Moses gave to the Jews. It says this, and bear with me, guys. I just want to throw all the scripture at you because it's so important that we know what, what God has, has witnessed about this so we can be obedient, okay? So when a man takes a wife okay, and marries her, if, he, if she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house... And she departs from his house. Stop there. What Moses has done is given them instructions for when you, as a man, right? In a very patriarchal society, decide to send your wife out. And why would you send her out? Because you have found some indecency in her. He gives her a a certificate of divorce. And then verse 2 says, and she goes and becomes another man's wife. And then the, the latter man, the second man, hates her and writes her, I mean, dang. You mean if I divorce a woman, that's hating her. hates her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she's been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. So this is the troubled scripture. Because Moses said, this is how you divorce your wife. But then, inevitably in the culture do you understand that she would need to match up with another man. I know there's, throughout cultures and, and, and nations, there's a lot more women who live singly. But at this time, that would have been a very difficult thing. Without male help. So she goes on and takes another husband. And then you can't take her off. And what, why did he do that? I mean, first of all, he wants to protect The women, Because what was happening before then is you would just send her out because it says you found some indecency in her. You just sent her out on her own. You sent her out with no protection, no provision, no nothing. And so clearly, you see, in the scripture, we see people talking about real events. So apparently, when you read this, when I read this, what you're seeing is men who are like, I'd like to try some other women, so I'm going to send you out. And when I realize the grass is not really greener on the other side... I want you to come back. Do you suppose that was happening? Yeah. So what he's saying is, don't play this game because once she connects with another man, which she's going to have to, you can't go take her back. So here's the problem with that. What happens is the rabbis, the teachers, they took this law and they took it to a ridiculous level. And they really connected to this word indecency. So it's a Hebrew word because it's the Old Testament that we're translating. And so the Hebrew word here has to do with like nudity, nakedness, exposure. And it could be literal, right? But it can also be figuratively, like to see the problems in me. And if anyone who's been married knows that is a surefire way for all of your issues to come up, right? Get married and watch how messed up you are. It, it just, it, and not only are you literally naked with this person, which for some of us, poor girls, right? And then others, maybe not so bad, but, but you, the physical nakedness, but you begin to see the shortcomings in me, if you're married to me. And, and the same for a husband with a wife. So what they were beginning to say is, anytime you find anything wrong, with your wife, that you can send her off, as long as you give her the certificate. And as long as you don't try to remarry her once she connects with another guy. They're like, yes! Like, Brandon, this is great because she's annoying the heck out of me. Right? Or sometimes it's the right. So the, the, the rabbis took this and they added their own stuff to it. And if you want to do something interesting and kind of like... Make sure you just like put your hands to your head. See the things these teachers were telling the Jews at this time. I mean, if you, right? Jews being a modest culture. If you, if you simply did a twirl in public and showed your ankle indecency, I could divorce you. If you aren't nice to my mom, I could divorce you, right? If I didn't like the way you looked naked, I could divorce you. If you did not pre- uh, prepare the food the way I liked it, Divorce, like anything, anything. They, they actually literally wrote, Rabbi had wrote, I read this, I mean, it's a quote, so right? It's the internet, so it has to be true. But apparently there was even teaching just to say, if I think she's prettier than you, that's, you're indecent compared to her, so you're out. And Jesus came to say, that's not Right? not right, and God's not okay with it. So then they went on to say, back to Matthew 19, this is the second part of verse 6, what well, therefore God has joined together, let no, let not man separate. They didn't like that answer, because for generations they've been living a different way. So here's what they said. They said to him, why did Moses command? One to give a certificate of divorce and send her away. Like, what? What are you saying, crazy person? We've been doing this for generations. Moses, man, he's holier than you. Are you saying he's wrong? Who do you think you are with your feathered hair, right? Like, come on. Holding your little lamb. Um, Why did Moses do that? And then Jesus just like dropped the truth bomb. He said that to them because we're dealing with what's actually happening. Not an ideal. He said that to them because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But that was not that was but from the beginning that was not so. So here's here's that. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? I know right now, do you guys have a like what about, what about, what about what about what about but but what about but, but, but what, what about, right? I mean, even I have those questions. Let's just start with what's being said here. This is how I understand it, okay? This is not thus saith the Lord. This is will interpreting it. See, the truth that we've got to understand is, if you've come into a marital union, God has joined that man and his wife together. He has met them there, even if he wasn't the start of the relationship. Right? He's joined them together. So that being so, I have no right, and they have no right to separate. Can you accept that? I mean, you have to ask yourself that. I think every one of us, whether you're single guys or married or divorced or remarried, this really hits home. And I'm not God, so this isn't a counseling session, but I have to speak this truth to you. So in one turn, like as a married man, I have no right to separate Brandy and I because God put us together. doesn't hate the people. In that position, think, oh, we hate? Yes. Yeah. We've, we've got to speak truth and what to go to that, okay? So God has joined a man and wife together. I have no right, and they have no right to separate it. So like I can know Brandon and Evelyn and think Evelyn's a wonderful woman, but I've got no right to get in between that because God has brought them together, Right? Now, what happens if I do? See, this is the problem. We feel like we can't say this in church because then you won't come if you were divorced. You get mad at me and you send me hate mail. Guess what? I've never been divorced. My parents haven't been divorced. My dad's parents died without getting divorced. But I got crazy sexual sin, man. I'm just as bad as you. In my life, I had sex before I was married. I've looked at plenty of women in a way that it's inappropriate even after I was married. So, can I throw rocks at your divorce? Like, no. But just like I have to repent of those things, you too, too. I had to confess and say, that was wrong. Man, I agree with you. I can see how wrong this is. Forgive me, God. Help me to see that differently, man. Help me just to see that differently. Forgive me and restore me. I mean, do you see that how that works? But that doesn't mean I have any right. Even if you think they're mistreating each other. You got no right to break that up. See, the truth is, God is never happy with divorce. He still hates it. Don't get divorced. That's what God's saying. But but what about? But but what about well what if eh, right no okay we can we can go there because that's the reality of what it is but if I don't give you the truth then there's no reason to go there right I think this isn't working so that's what that's what God begins with saying do you want to go to the next slide for me because this is not working um what happens here according to what Jesus said is when our hearts get hardened towards each other and towards God that's we will continue to choose divorce. So so what I want to say here, and I said it in the wrong word, I wrote it in the wrong words here, but what it is guys is actually it's not your sin that causes you to get divorced. Your sin causes you to have problems in your marriage. Do you see that? Your sin makes it difficult to be li- to live with you and be married with you. And oftentimes what you end up doing is you end up counseling people. I've been counseled and counseling people where eventually you talk to the point where when they're in marriage they're kind of back-to-back feeling the same thing, but they haven't communicated it. Like, they're hurting one another because of their sin. Your sin makes it difficult, but your hardened heart is when you say, I'm done. See? It's not the curse. It's not the sin that caused the divorce. It's, it's the curse. It's the sin that make it difficult. But that difficult marriage, what it really requires us to do, I think if we can look at it differently, is it's causing us to to sacrifice and to grow. Here's a good reminder. I wrote it down because I need to remind myself this. And I know it's kind of warm and you guys are glazing over. Let's get this out here so we can talk about it even later. Reminder, your life on earth is not supposed to always be comfortable and easy. That can't be the measurement tool. Guys, let me tell you, young men and women, please understand that. There's a lot of joy and beauty in life, but the goal of it, for you to look at your life and say, is it good? Measuring it, whether it's comfortable or not, is not a good measurement tool. You see that? Because you are growing, your paradise is not here. Your full rewards are not here on this dying rock. So, ultimately, we're trying to grow We're trying to become more like Christ. That's why we gather together over time. And growing, as you know, when you were growing as a teenager, you get growing pains that hurt sometimes. Even this week, what happened to you if you really asked God to search you, right? Even at our house, right, Brandy? Like, just to be honest, like for her and I to talk and say, "Well, I see you doing this. And I'm like, float to the surface. I was like angry, bitter about it. And then I had to do this. You know, you're Right? And then we actually talked about it and hopefully I'll do something about it but that we did talk about how to do differently because it is hard for her to live with me. So then this automatically should lead to this next thing. Okay, so okay, well, that's great, that's great, that's cool. Let's talk about this, because a bunch of pastors told me this. What are the biblical grounds of divorce? And what you're going to see in the Christian culture and Christian teaching is a number of things. There's going to be kind of this hard line, like, I don't even want to talk about divorce. You never get it. You let that guy murder you. You let them cheat on you 5,000 times and you never get divorced. There's that saying. And then there's that like, well, really, when it said this... uh, Sexual morality, it meant like he actually saw a naked woman other than me before. And now everyone's disqualified from staying married, right? So you've got get married, get divorced for any reason, never get divorced for any reason. So what do we do about that? What are the biblical grounds for divorce? And anytime we do that, I feel like we misunderstand the Bible altogether. Because the Bible is What? Some of it's God's commands, his word. Some of it is Paul's recommendations. Some of it is letters to churches. So looking at it like this is foolish in my opinion, okay? But what did Jesus say about it? What did Jesus say about it? Well, let's look. Okay, what therefore, we're back to Matthew 19. God has joined together, let not man separate. Have I beat that to death? Okay. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it was not so. Okay, that's cool, Jesus. We already told me that. Verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Let me say this I'm not God. Like, I wasn't there. What exactly did Jesus mean? Tons of people will go to heaven and have a different opinion about what this means. And the fact that they believe differently will not keep them from the kingdom of God. So, take a deep breath. Even if you think wrong about this, mercy. Forgiveness. This is what you're going to need. Either way. But when I look at this, what, what Jesus is saying just like Moses, he's like taking it to the next level. He's saying, I want you to know how serious this is. So what I think he's saying is, you should not get divorced. As I prayed about it, I'm like, Lord, help me in my belief. I feel strongly just to say, there are no grounds where God's happy with divorce. That's my, that's my opinion. That's what I feel compelled through prayer and study. There are no grounds in which God is like, way to go. Got divorced. High five. Good job. Or like, I would have left that dude too. God's never going to say that. Okay? This is, I could be wrong. But when I read that, what I think he's saying is, but because, you should never get divorced. But because, because you actually know God, and you know this is the God that can bring dead things back to life. And so, if I'm going to believe in him, I can believe no matter what we're going through, if he so wills, he can bring it back to life. He's joined us and he says when it's done. But what about, but what about, but what about, but what about? Okay, I get that. Okay. But because you and your spouse, this is what I think he's saying, don't see clearly. Right? Our humanity, the limitness the limitedness of our existence here. Because you don't see clearly or hear clearly, you may be overcome by the difficulty of your circumstances. Guys, this is never going to show up in Hollywood in a romance movie. And I love romance. I'm like a sucker for it. Probably more than most guys you know. But your spouse is a Circumstance. You're my circumstance, right? That's not a Valentine's Day card, but it is. You're a teaching tool that God's going to use for me. You're going to be my challenge to be selfless and loving. Like, that doesn't show up on Valentine's Day, but it's the reality of it. And because you and your spouse are human because of the curse, because you don't see clearly, because you don't hear clearly, you're going to come to that point where you're going to feel overwhelmed. Because can we speak truth for a minute? There's husbands who have beat their wives to the hospital and changed their life and become good husbands. It's happened, okay? There's husbands who have cheated on their wife and have come to repentance and have a loving marriage. There's wives who have hurt their husbands physically, right? And come to repentance. There's wives who've cheated on that. There's people who've been imprisoned and still made a marriage work, right? till they got out. There's stories of that. It's possible. Is it going to happen to you? I don't know, but it's not up to me. It's up to God right? So you and I are going to be overwhelmed when we face those circumstances and we're going to be like, done. And Jesus says we do that because our hearts get hardened. And he's saying, especially when it comes to fornication is the word, sexual morality. Here's the danger we've done in our culture. Understand, adultery, and all the words that mean that, mean when you're married, that means like sex, like outside of your marriage, right? But fornication has to do with unmarried sex. So so fornication can describe adultery, but fornication is also like what happens when you have premarital sex or homosexual sex, right? Or or you are and it also is when you go outside your marriage with an unmarried person and have sex. That's fornication. Looking at someone with lustful intent, Jesus said it's just as bad, but it's not that same word. So what what, what he's saying is like, the cultural standard that you are welcome welcome to divorce for whatever reason, but if you leave your spouse for any other reason than adultery, right? And find a new partner to marry your new sexual union is the act is adultery. Dramatic pause. I don't like that, Will. I don't like that. So what do we do with that? Like, what I'm telling you is that what Jesus is saying is like, listen, okay? If your, if your spouse cheats on you and then leaves, then, then like, what do you do? What do you really do? Right? But what about that? What about if my, my spouse is abusive to me? What about if my spouse is addicted to pornography? What about if my spouse is no good and won't work? What about, what about, what about? Well, let me, let me tell you, we can't get into all that today. Like I said, that is, this is not a counseling session. But, but inevitably, what happens is there's things in place. And we'll try to get to that, but let me, let me talk to the single person first, okay? The disciples, once they heard all this from Jesus, thank you for bearing with me, guys. We're going to make it, Okay? They began to say to the disciples afterwards, they pulled them aside and they're like, Jesus, you mean that girl, if I choose her? Just because I thought she was really neat, right? I'm stuck with her. No matter what she does, according to God, he's like, yep. They're like, then I just think it'd be better. If that was the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Could you see that conclusion? Almost like dramatic, like a kid, like, oh, I'm not getting married then, Jesus. Like, my dad had six wives because they just kept making him mad. I want to do that too, right? Like, Well, but Jesus replied to this. Not everyone can accept this word. But only to those whom have it been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. But one who can accept this should accept it. So eunuchs, right, were men... Who are emasculated physically so that they wouldn't be drawn into sexual temptation. So he's saying some people were born that way. Some people were made that way. In like the service of a queen, stuff like that. Other people choose to take on celibacy is what he's talking about. But not everyone can do that. And that's why Paul instructed in 1 Corinthians 7. This is another sermon, but I got to bring this there for the single people. Verse 9, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 9. Paul writes to Christians, But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay, we'll tie all that in together. Yes, marriage is a serious commitment. And the breaking of one is sin. But if you think, if you think the answer is just to throw a fit and say, I'm not going to get married, let me warn you. Then you better be able to live with self-control not falling into sexual temptation. It would be better for you to marry and go through the work of that than to burn with desire all your life, right? You see Jesus dealing with that. So, but what about, but what about, what what about, right? We get all that. And then you got this beauty, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace, Guys, I know that this is a lot, okay? Let me try to bring this together. First of all, God made marriage, planned it, designed it. Not you, not me, not Hollywood, not America. And we're, we're actually called to walk that out. And in this, it's a covenant. So it's saying, I'm choosing this woman, and no matter what she does, whatever circumstances come my way, I don't quit on her. And she doesn't quit on me. But there's a lot of things that can happen. And a lot of things do happen because of our hardness of heart. But what about, okay, your husband beats you. Get him arrested. He either gets help or he leaves you. Then if he leaves you, your unbelieving spouse left. But here's what happens. If your unbelieving spouse leaves, there's still um, cause and effect, okay? There's still consequence. There's still reaping and sowing. I think about this. Brandy and I, we talked about that before. We we're like, I can see where this divorce thing would be bad. Let's say Brandy and I call it quits. I find a girl that I think is marvelous. She finds a guy that she thinks is marvelous. Man, we both take the best trip we could ever imagine. It's wonderful. It's romantic. It's fun. And then it's Tuesday, and Johnny ends up having a son, and it's his first birthday. Some of you have lived this. Then we go there with the new spouses. Happy as can be, man, like singing in the car. And then we get there and I'm not fully redeemed yet. So if this guy was touching my wife, the only course of action would be death by my bare hands. This is what I would want to do with this man. Right? Divorced or not, the wife of my youth, even the thought of that will make me go crazy. I will not like this man at first. It will take some Lord getting in me. And some Holy Spirit to get past that. And inevitably, she, my wife would not like this new girl. And this new girl would like, not like her. And what would happen is, you get in the car. Your son, his wife, and his one-year-old son would say, Grandma and Grandpa wrecked the first birthday with their bad attitudes. We both would fight on the way home. That Brandy, she's such a witch. The way that she looks at me and rolls her eyes at me, right? Like, we would not be having a romantic evening. We'd be having a fighting evening. And the same in their car. Well, I don't know, you know, that Will, he's pretty like buff. I mean, this probably doesn't, I probably don't add up to him, right? So they would go fight. They would not have a romantic evening. You know what's better? If I stayed married to her, we don't have a romantic evening tonight. But my kids had an awesome first birthday because grandma and grandpa stayed together. Right? Right? My grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary, it was like nothing ever went wrong. Well, it's because they stuck it out. Lots of things went wrong. Man, my parents are in their 40s 40s years of being married. We're in our 20s years of being married. It has been hard and difficult. Even as great as she is. I'm messed up. Okay? What if your spouse cheats on you? Well, there's a lot of situations. Your spouse cheats and leaves? I don't know what you can do. You're unbelieving. Now, let me just say this, a little asterisk side note. We always take these terms because they're in the Bible, and we give them a title. The unbeliever, right? Like it's some heathen. The word basically says here, the spouse who's not believing God. So it doesn't matter if you're a churchgoer. This is not the churchgoer, the non-churchgoer partner who separates. You'll have partners that go to church with you, but they don't believe God for this, so they're out. And what can you do? Chase them down and beg them? You can't. So what do you do? God, this is wrong, but I, I'm sorry. And then the problem, I think, what I want you to do, because I need to do this even though I'm, I'm, I'm still married, is please understand this. According to the Bible, husbands, men, if you've been divorced... And she's the one that left, it's easy to blame her. However, it takes two to tango. For you to be a spotless and perfect husband, a couple things have to happen. You gotta be sacrificing yourself for your wife. Did you do that? Right most of the time? Probably not. Wives. Right? You have to submit to your husbands. Did you do that? Majority of the time, what that looks like. Oh, that's that's I don't like to talk about that. Okay. Let's get this way. We like to talk about this. The scripture says that we are there to keep each other from sexual temptation in a world that's over-sexualized. Did you withhold that from your spouse, your husband or your wife? Did you withhold your physicality from them? Even if you didn't, did you let yourself get like this that no one wants to touch? I mean, that wasn't right either. Like, you can nitpick. In the end, whenever a marriage breaks up, it's both people's fault. Whose heart got hardened faster and deeper, they're the ones that leave. And so whenever we get into a divorce, it's no different than those who are gossiping or those who are getting angry or those who are using drugs or other immoral type of acts. In the end, we have to realize, oh man, we have to really throw ourselves at the feet of God and say, this is not how you designed it, not how you wanted it, please forgive me. in each individual situation, what to do. You can't preach that because you don't know. You don't know. That's why you got to have relationship with people to walk you through these things. But I get to speak this truth to you. Even if you've been divorced and remarried, well, what do you mean? Well, I should divorce my current spouse, go back to the old one? That's not what the Bible said. You should commit to the covenant you've made now. I ran somebody over with my car. I'm not going to reverse Oops, I feel bad about that. Like, no. I repent. I forgive, right? I want that for God to do for me, and I do differently. Man, I honor the wife that I have. As a matter of fact, it says, your old husband can't take you back. Your old wife shouldn't come back to you. You honor the one that you have, but you do it in humility. And anytime you see that kind of consequence, when you go to that first birthday party and you fight, it's just a reminder that this is a fallen world. And that we're all sinners. But we just can't be a people looking for excuses to match our feelings. Well, I'm justified. No. No, this is is a fallen world, and it has... You've sure done a number on us. So I know it's not a feel-good thing, but I'd like the praise team to come up. Because I want you to respond in some way. It'd be easy just to think, okay, you're just... You're harping will on those people who've been divorced. The Bible talks, is talking a lot about that divorce and about remarriage. And, and ultimately, it's weird, guys, because at the beginning, God created one man and one woman. So that was easier in that way, right? You, there wasn't like two women that had to compete for Adam or two guys that had to compete for Eve. God put them together and said, you're going to make this work. But I'm with you. And then once the sin came, then they had kids. And I don't want to know how that went down. But, but anyway, there's, there's kids and they're marrying. And then as they started leaving each other, God, had, God responded with this law from Moses to say, this is not good. Now, under the legal system, what's different than our time is if you cheated on your spouse, especially if you were the woman, what was the penalty for adultery? you'd be stoned to death. So that kind of solved your problem, right? That made it easy, I knew, right? Right? And some of you are like, oh dang, I wish we had that still, but okay. Get it right with the Lord. So you look at the Mosaic Law and what's happening is, is he's just saying, if you send your wife out for any other reason than adultery, and adultery is the tricky thing. Because it is a fracture and destruction of a union. And so in order to make it through it, you'd have to to get healing and reunited It'd be really difficult. And so a lot of marriages don't make it through that. And I believe there's mercy and forgiveness for that. But what there isn't is God high-fiving you for it. That you didn't make it work. He's not excited about that. He still hates divorce. Well, God in his mercy decided to show mercy and forgiveness to those who cheated on their spouse. He didn't give them immediate death. He gave them an opportunity to repent. And if God did that, then we should too. It's easy, it's easy for me to say that because that hasn't happened to me that I know of, right? Um, so this is really difficult, this life. And that's why we've got to have each other. We've got to have, most importantly, the Lord and the Holy Spirit in us. But he's calling us to carry forward his actions and his covenant that God doesn't quit on me when I get angry. He doesn't quit on me when I get lazy. He doesn't quit on me when I'm unfaithful. So as a Christian, I should long to handle my covenant with my wife that same way. And every time I fail, this is what I have to do. This is what I have to do. So first of all, let me start just to take away young men and women who aren't married yet and anyone out here who, who is single. Uh, the Bible's like serious about sexual purity and it is a really hard thing to keep in our culture. And because of that, and for a lot of other reasons, it's not good that we're necessarily alone unless it's been given to us. And so some of you might find like, man, I just got this in me. I know I can be single and I can be committed to only the Lord's business and not subject to the circumstance and the commitments of a marriage and kids, right? But please understand when when you go into this, do your best to pick a good spouse. Most importantly, you want someone who's gonna like treat you with that covenant that God treats them. So that's why the Christian thing's important. It seems like something your parents bully you about, but you're gonna need someone when you're 35 and 45 and 55 who's like, you kind of suck, but I'm committed to you, like Jesus is committed to me because I kinda suck. Does that make sense? And do the best you can, like to save yourself for that person, because that's just gonna complicate matters in an already complicated situation. You want to be the best son or daughter of God you can be, independent of whoever you match up with. People who are married. Don't think because you haven't quit yet that your heart is not hard. For your spouse. What would you suppose I would tell you to do? And I'm talking to myself too. What do you suppose I would tell you to do? If you're, if you're married but your heart has gotten hard, hardened in some way to your spouse. There's a board behind me. There we go. Cheat, cheat sheet right here. Take a picture if you want. If you're really daring, you can even ask God to show you where your heart's hard. Oh, this is going to be a fun week for you, too. I'll be praying for you. And be praying for me, because I'm doing that. But this is what we have to do if we're married. So you're not off the hook. I had divorced people. I'm married, right? Whether you're married the first time or the 41st time, I hope that's not true. But do this if you're married, okay? If you're thinking about leaving, don't. Do this. Like, call me. Let's talk. Let's pray. Don't do it. Don't send yourself in that um, consequence circle. Yeah. Don't go to porn either, right? That's a hardened heart type of move. Yeah. Yep. If you're cheating, stop. Just stop. Throw yourself at the feet of God. If your heart's hard, throw, this is what this is, throwing yourself at the feet of God. If you're divorced, um, even if you've been remarried, throw yourself at the feet of God. Maybe you did already. Maybe you did that work, but I think a lot of us, because we were wrong, that we don't do that work. right? I talk to a lot of people like, yeah, that was all their fault, so I didn't repent at all. And then what happens is you bring the same garbage to the next marriage. And it stays. Yeah. So we want to do the work because we want to be the most alive we can be in Christ. So even if you're like third marriage or something, like do the work to repent for the two before that if you haven't. And then if you're divorced and, and remarried, man, like live up to that commitment with your current spouse. And if you're divorced or widowed and you're single, then according to what the Bible says, there's a giftedness to that. Maybe you have it, or maybe you're just in waiting for that next partner. And I think that's totally awesome too. Please don't read into all this marriage talk that there's something wrong with you. According to Paul, being single is actually better and it makes sense to me. The romantic system may really want to be married forever in heaven, but I get why we can't because we would just, it wouldn't be heaven anymore if we were Treating each other like this, so, um, so Josh, kind of weird, right? If you're single, throw yourself at the feet of God, to know that this is going to be hard. If you're married, throw yourself at the feet of God. If you're single, throw yourself at the feet of God. If you're remarried, throw yourself at the feet of God, and and just release, ask for forgiveness. Ask him to change your mind to keep you from the temptation. Prepare you for whatever it is he has next for you. Okay. I'm gonna pray. And then they'll play some songs. I'll be up, I'll be actually in the back. If anyone just wants someone to pray with them. If you have some questions. If you got the but what about questions? We can talk about that, okay? Uh, Lord, I, I humble myself because I'm a proud person like everyone else. And, and easy to throw stones when you live in a glass house, right, I guess. And, and you don't want to do it. You think you're in a brick house, but you live in a glass house. Because my son is awful and, and filthy. And, and Lord, I just I just pray for the single people that they would just drop to their knees before you and ask for strength to do single right, Lord, that you would grow them into the men and women that you're wanting them to be. And that if you have a spouse for them, if you have this mission for them ahead, that you're protecting that spouse and creating a pathway where you bring them together because it's you that does it. Help them, not that they'll ever be ready, but help them to grow as much as possible in the meantime, Lord. I pray for those who are married. Lord, that it is a, a wonderful thing, right, to find a spouse. It's quite an adventure to try to love someone selflessly like you love us. Please change our minds so that we could see it like as the challenge that it is. If we could see every time it's hard we could only imagine how hard it is for you to do that for us help us to be faithful help us to be honest help us to work through our issues to communicate help us to push against Lord strengthen us with your spirit that your spirit is what would connect us and keep us together and work all the sin out of our life Lord. and for those of us who've been a victim of divorce in a way or the one that filed for it to know that we are we have fallen short we've fallen short Lord and that we would throw ourselves at your feet as well that you'd forgive us that your blood that would come it would wash away every sin that it would take away every, everything that we did or said or didn't do or didn't say and that it would just wash through us, Lord, and that it would cleanse us, taking all unrighteousness out of us, Lord, and that you would take that sin and that you would cast it as far as the east is from the west because you can do that, that you would make us new and that you'd replenish us with your spirit, Lord, and the living waters that come down from heaven, Lord, that they would just pour into us, that we would be alive whether we're married or we're single or we're remarried, Lord. Give us the strength, To love, if you're a man, love the women around you sacrificially, especially your wife. Give yourself up for her. Stand in the gap. Women that you would love and be the strength that you are behind those men, that you would love your kids. Lord, help us. Help us to handle our sexuality right in such a a perverse generation, Lord, just like all those before us, Lord. Give us strength. Fill us with your spirit so that we can do this. In spirit, I pray that you would search us, Lord, because everyone's got a different situation. And you're asking them to deal with this. You're asking them to face it. You're asking them to release it to you so that we can get healing and get fully alive. And that's what we want. Not to condemn, but to call to repentance all the sons and daughters of God. That their life would be unjunked, Lord. That they could be free to love the spouse you've given them now that they'd be free to love you and love ourselves without being ashamed or feel guilty, but just to release it and know it's been forgiven, Lord. If we cheated, you can make it right by restoring us, renewing us, forgiving us, Lord. If we left, you can forgive us and restore us. If we've been left, you can restore us and forgive us, Lord. You can make us new and we can be fully alive in you. I want that for myself and I want that for everyone who's hearing my voice. And I pray that, Jesus, in your name and your authority and your power, you can do it. And I ask that you would come, Lord, and as we take a little reflective time, that you would just fill us with your spirit and that we would feel like, yes. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for a fresh start. I pray it and I believe it, Jesus, in your name. Amen.